Hello, and welcome to The Query Show. I am your host, Blair Thornburg, and this is the podcast all about query letters and helping writers get published. So I'm excited because tomorrow I am headed to Hamlin University, where I got my MFA in writing for children and young adults for alumni weekend to see a bunch of friends and also to give a talk on query letters. So this podcast has been great training. I am going to do it live uh, and hopefully get a lot of insight into how to teach people how to write query letters, which is a very different thing to do live and in person than it is here with my laptop. However, that is why we're here. And so today we have two YA fantasy queries that I'm really excited to share. So let's dive in. Okay, so our first YA fantasy query comes from Chelsea. Thank you, Chelsea. I'll read the entire query and then I'll go paragraph by paragraph with my thoughts, critiques, etc. Dear Agent, I'm reaching out to submit my upper YA fantasy and romance, Gods and Martyrs, for your consideration. In the Forna kingdom, the gods are both revered and feared. 17-year-old Mira knows that all too well as they banished her own grandfather from the earth for harboring a rebellious spirit. With such tainted family history, the young farmworker has good reason to question the deity's judgment when they appoint her to an exclusive and prestigious assembly erected in their name. And she's not alone. After Mira's induction ceremony takes a violent turn, the already suspicious Queen Lena sentences the outsider to death. Tossed out to sea to be devoured by the gods' raging waves, Mira is miraculously saved by descendants of revels who all supposedly died after the War of Insurrection centuries ago. Suddenly, everything Mira knows about her kingdom, including her grandfather's supposed divine disappearance, is turned on its head. Back in the Forna capital, the queen struggles to hold on to her sanity as problems plague the throne. When she regains a lost memory that reunites her with a former forbidden lover, she simultaneously uncovers the dark truth about a secret labor camp in the kingdom's frigid northern sect. The reignited flames and horrid discoveries set the wheels of revolution in motion as Lena takes up arms against her own crown, alongside the same girl she sentenced to death. Gods and Martyrs follows three women along their turbulent journeys through revelation, revolution, and redemption. Perfect for fans of the Red Queen series and Children of Blood and Bone, the mature fantasy is an explosive coming-of-age adventure and suspenseful queer romance that provocatively explores religious corruption, worker exploitation, and the power of free will. Growing up as a confused little queer baby in a small conservative town and in a devout Christian household, I struggled to find a sense of self as a teen. When I did finally grab hold of it, I channeled my past into fighting for people's futures as a labor activist, which I dedicate my life to now. Both of these people are who I write this book as and who I wrote this book for. Thank you so much for the consideration. I hope you enjoy the first pages. Okay, so let's take it paragraph by paragraph. So the first paragraph about submitting the upper YA fantasy and romance, uh, there's nothing technically wrong with making that statement in a query that I'm reaching out to submit this, but you also don't have to. Agents know that this is why you're sending a query so that they'll consider your book. Also, I personally don't think there's any need to specify upper or lower when talking about age categories in children's books. Think of a Barnes and Noble. There's just the YA section and then it's divvied up by genre with no further age slices needed. If the work does contain more mature themes that would necessitate it being designated as upper YA, 
You can just show that in your plot summary or even with your comp titles. That's all the agent needs to situate it in their mind. Now we get the introduction to Mira, which I hope I'm saying right, and the gods of her world. Now I love a good mythology and fantasy story, and this sounds like a fabulous one. These gods are respected, but also terrifying, just like you would want. So a few thoughts on condensing. Anytime you use a relative pronoun like that or this, look for a way to join up two sentences. In this case, the author could rewrite to something like, 17-year-old Mira knows all too well why the gods in her kingdom of Forna are as feared as they are revered. They banished her grandfather from the earth after he harbored a rebellious spirit. Similarly, I don't think it's necessary to spell out with such tainted family history. It'd be simpler just to say, so when the deities appoint Mira to an exclusive and prestigious assembly erected in their name, she has good reason to question their judgment. Basically, pull that when phrase out to the front of the sentence. As for the, and she's not alone, that ends the paragraph, I love how punchy it is to end with this brief sentence fragment after two lengthier sentences. It's great rhythm. However, I'm not clear on what Mira isn't alone in, if that makes sense. She's not alone in being appointed, or she's not alone in suspecting the gods. And one final point, which I'll get back to after reviewing the next paragraph, how does Mira feel about being selected? She's questioning the gods' judgment, but is that because she doesn't want to go, or because she just didn't think she should be considered worthy given her family history? Her feelings and internal landscape are still a bit of a cipher. Now we come to her induction ceremony and subsequent murder at sea, which she survives. Save from shipwreck is another one of my favorite tropes. It's why Twelfth Night is my favorite Shakespeare play, among many other reasons. And this paragraph shows a clear, logical series of events that flow one to the next. However, if we think back to goal-motivation conflict, well, I'm just not sure what Mira's goal is, to be honest. Implicitly, it's probably survival, in that, you know, we're all trying to survive and her circumstances are heightened. But even if we look back at the first paragraph, there isn't any mention of what she wants. It's more about what she thinks and what happens to her. But motivation can't exist without a goal, which I'm not clear on, and you have to be motivated to do something. Conflict can't exist without a goal either. It has to be conflicting with some course of action. So my biggest advice for the author is to look at these first two paragraphs and find a way to slip in information about what Mira wants. Even if it's just to live a normal life and not be in the God's assembly, make sure we know that explicitly. Now we get to Queen Lena as she struggles with her sanity in the secret labor camp. So now we have a second protagonist. Queen Lena might not be as murdery and terrible as we thought. My first suggestion here is to start the sentence and the whole paragraph with Queen Lena. That is to say, don't include back in the Forna capital. I'm almost certain we're switching POVs here, and the clearest way to flag that in the query is to start this new paragraph with the character's name. Otherwise, it can read like we've just wandered away from Mira, and the reader will wonder when we're getting back to the real protagonist until they catch on that Queen Lena is also a protagonist. Speaking of Mira, I think Lena's characterization here is running against a few of the same issues. Namely, she doesn't feel active enough. What is her goal, motivation, and conflict? I'm getting particularly hung up on the phrasing of set the wheels of revolution in motion. The phrasing is mechanical, it's literally a wheel, and so ultimately it's impersonal. If Lena's the one taking up arms, which she does do actively and very well in the same sentence, just make sure she's the subject of the other verb phrases too. Making Lena more active in this paragraph could also help with the logic of the story beats. Right now, I don't feel that I can quite puzzle out the order of events. What are the problems plaguing the throne? How does a memory reunite her with a forbidden lover? 
And how does that, in turn, lead her to the existence of the labor camp? Creating active sentences here could clear a lot of that up. Finally, I'm wondering about the gods, because I really liked them in the beginning. They had a big part in Mira's story, and the title of the book even has gods in it. So how do the gods factor into Lena's story, if they do at all? Now we get to the summary paragraph, where we hear about the three women, their turbulent journeys through revelation, revolution, and redemption. Overall, it's very nice prosody and rhythm to this paragraph, which I just gave a great example of those three words repeated with similar sounds, and the comp titles Red Queen and Children of Blood and Bone seem right on. One thing I noticed that's missing is the word count. It's a small detail and not a deal breaker per se, but definitely do include it. However, as far as I can tell, we've only met two protagonists so far. So who's the third woman? I'm guessing it's Lena's former lover, but regardless of who it is, if this character is important enough to be one of three mentioned here, she should be named and described in the query. The best option to fit that in might be to condense Mira's paragraphs into one, devote the second paragraph to Lena, and then use a third paragraph to introduce and describe woman number three. Then we have a brief bio where the author describes their background and how that led them to do what they're doing today when they're not writing. Now, what I like about this paragraph is that it segues from the author's passion and philosophy about her upbringing into her profession. So it's not just about the thematic goals of the writing, but also about a concrete fact, a labor activist who grew up in a small conservative town. Nice work. I do think the bio paragraph could use a little more beefing up in terms of professional credentials. If this author can include anything about their writing career, whether it's a degree, classes, conferences, webinars they've gone to, organizations they're a member of, there can be a lot to say even for a new writer. I actually did a whole bonus episode for my patrons about how to write bio paragraphs, even when you're just starting out, that some people might find helpful. And then a nice thank you for the consideration, which is always a great way to end a query. So nice job, Chelsea. This sounds like a really fantastic fantasy with tons and tons of ambition and imagination. Next, we have another fantasy query from Keely and Sarah, which I think is my first author team on the query show, so very excited to feature this. Again, I'll just read the whole query first and then we'll dig into the details. Dear Agent, only 2% of kids who age out of foster care graduate from college. Belson carries this number with him everywhere, posted above his desk and written in his notebooks, determined to be one of the success stories. He came to Tegel University, his mother's alma mater, to find his last connection to her, the magical artificiary she studied years before. Falling for a dare, a charming diplomat son, was never part of the plan. Belson creates a perfect fictional family to fit in, but he can't stop adding to the lies. Adair pulls at his focus, distracting him from his artificiary search, until Belson discovers his professor and upcoming candidate for prime minister, Dr. Ristoff, is stealing enchantment using his mother's artificiary. Dr. Ristoff curses him, making it impossible for Belson to name his attacker or expose the danger. The trouble is, all the history books say that curses aren't real. What Dr. Ristoff did shouldn't be possible, and Belson can't talk to anyone to get the answers. On his own, Belson is left with a choice, sabotage the relationships he's found or lose his only shot at a future. Enchantment for Beginners is a young adult contemporary fantasy novel complete at 100,000 words. This book will appeal to readers of Emergency Contact for the first year college experience and The Raven Boys for LGBT plus and contemporary fantasy elements. Authors both work and teach in higher education and drew on their extensive experience teaching and advising first year students to write this book. Author one was selected to attend 
a college YA conference and has published YA reviews in A Trade magazine. Author two has an MFA in creative writing from another college and has been published in various publications. Thank you for your consideration. Okay, so another YA fantasy, different in that it's contemporary, but still with a lot of fun fantasy type elements. I love a good campus novel, so this sounds fantastic. So the first paragraph opens with this fact about 2% of kids in foster care and Belson, who's very attached to this figure and determined to overcome it. This first paragraph brings us a lot of clutch information. We learn who Belson is through what he wants, which for a character is the most important thing. It's a good rundown of that goal motivation conflict. His goal, graduate from college and find the magical artificiary and motivation, buck the odds and connect with his mother's past. On the prose front, one place I stumbled was just the word artificiary. I've had to record saying it several times. <laughs> it's just not one I've heard before, and granted, I'm not a diehard fantasy reader, but Microsoft Word is giving it that squiggly red line, and I Googled it, and more to the point, I just can't visualize what it is. Is it bigger than a bread box? Is it a weapon, some kind of amulet? The authors could get a bit more detailed here to help out the reader. Now, character-wise, as I said, Belson seems like an enterprising and inspiring fellow. However, I'm not sure that the opening line of this query gives the best first impression of this story. When I initially read it, I thought for a hot second that I was reading a nonfiction query. A very brief second, but still. I like that Belson is so determined to graduate, and I like the image of him carrying this fact on paper and writing it up as a reminder. But ultimately, that 2% statistic is not an essential detail. And it's not essential because it isn't really thematically relevant to the rest of the story. Which is a nice transition to paragraph 2. So we meet Adair and the sinister Dr. Ristoff. So by contrast, I think this line about falling for a charming diplomat's son not being part of the plan is a bang-up first line, because it's about characters, not statistics, and it's about forbidden love. It's total catnip. So I'd suggest the authors use this line as the first line of the whole query. It just demands attention, and it can segue nicely into what Belson's actual plan is. Now speaking of his plan, we get the conflict. Adair is distracting. Love is so inconvenient when you're just trying to get some dang research done. However, I'm not sure the until phrase here works. The Adair pulls his focus until Belson discovers his professor is stealing enchantment. What's the exact connection here? Both this charming guy on campus and the nefarious professor have the potential to stymie Belson's plan, but it's not readily clear what the charming guy and nefarious professor have to do with each other. Right now, the facts of the plot as described here have them running in parallel, even though the until structure brings them together. Belson's lies about his family seem similarly free-floating. The fake family seems to make things complicated with Adair, as it would, but the fact of his lies don't have much downstream effects in this paragraph. Now, this could be solved with something at the beginning of the next sentence, like, as Adair falls for Belson's fictitious self, Belson's focus drifts, dot dot dot, that would help show more cause and effect. Generally speaking, every plot point in a query needs to tie in with some other point in the query. There isn't enough space for short facts, and a story is a series of events caused by facts. So this is the same issue, I think, with the 2% sentence in the first paragraph. It doesn't really inspire anything so much as describe something and then move on. Now the paragraph that describes curses aren't real, Belson has to make a choice between sabotaging relationships or losing a shot at his future. So if someone says they're cursed, you should believe them. That's my new motto, unless they're cursed to not be able to tell you, in which case, good luck. Now I think the third query paragraph, as you might have noticed, tends to be where the plot gets pushed to this do or die, make or break moment where the stakes get amped 
And the protagonist is on the verge of a choice. And we've definitely got that here, so very nicely done. But given that this is the screws tightening paragraph, a phrase like the trouble is doesn't quite work for me. The trouble is is the kind of phrase that introduces new information, a new wrinkle that trumps all other wrinkles. But what this paragraph really ought to do at this point in the query is just up the stakes on existing conflicts. Something like compressing the timeline, revealing an unforeseen consequence of one course of action, or something else that builds on what's already been established. It's a crescendo paragraph. As is, this paragraph implies that the biggest and grandest problem is that the history books say curses aren't real. The trouble is. But that doesn't actually seem to be Belson's biggest problem. We already know that the curse itself means he can't rat out Dr. Ristoff, so it's sort of moot whether or not curses are considered to be real. He can't tell anyone he's cursed to begin with. So what I find myself wondering, as the conflicts are crescendoing and coming to a head, is what is creating the choice that Belson faces? Why can he have a relationship or a future, but not both? And how does the curse come into play? Now, this could be a place for the author to use a phrase like, now, in order to X, Belson will have to Y or else Z. That would show not only that he's facing a choice, but also that the various courses of actions are causally related and not just two options. It's the difference between X or Y and X or else Y. One is choosing between two doors in front of you, and one is choosing a door so you don't fall through a trap door. I hope that metaphor makes sense. Now, the little info paragraph about the book is great. We have a word count, we have comp titles, we have a title. I'm not sure if emergency contact is the exact right comp for this book. It does take place in a first-year college setting, but from what I gather about that book, which granted I haven't read, is not exactly the same setting or tone as this one. But I don't think the fact that it's set in a first-year college setting requires its own individual comp. I think The Raven Boys is pretty spot on in a lot of aspects for this one, and so I would just leave it at that. Now, in the bio paragraph, it's pretty great. Both the authors have the life experience that informs this particular book with their college backgrounds. They have relevant publication credits and educational backgrounds themselves. Best of all, it's a nice, compact paragraph, even though, as I mentioned, there are twice as many authors in this query as usual. So thank you so much, Keely and Sarah, for being my first author team. This sounds like a fantastic book. Like I said, I love a good campus novel. And that's the show. Thank you so much for listening. It's gotten very warm in my office, so I'm glad to be done recording because I'm about to cough my head off. Thank you so much to Chelsea and Keely and Sarah for being brave and sending in your queries. I'm really glad to be able to pair together two queries that are the same genre and have interesting intersections between the two of them. If you would like your query to be on the query show for one of these fantastic, totally free, somewhat expert critiques, you can go to thequeryshow.com and fill out a submission form. Also at thequeryshow.com, you can sign up for our newsletter, which will get you a query workbook written by me. I also don't know why I keep saying our newsletter because it is just me, but you know, our Query Show Nation. And speaking of which, if you'd like to join the community around the Query Show, I have a Patreon where you can become a patron and get tons of fun bonus stuff. You get written copies of all the critiques that are featured on the show, which are really handy to study, plus bonus episodes and FAQs, first pages shows, stuff like that. I just did a great interview with my good friend Kate Browning, who is so smart and so fun to talk to, and she had some really interesting things to say about the submission process, what it's like to acquire books, plus what she thinks is going to be big in 2019. 
And if you like this podcast, tell your friends, spread the word, maybe give the show a rating on iTunes. I've been watching everyone download and listen and rate, and it's super encouraging. And I'm super excited that people like this because I really like making it. And that's a wrap. Have a fantastic week because it's fantasy week. And I'll see you next time. 